0: Uh, Brandon Mason he's just a a stellar human being. I I really enjoy our conversations, uh you know, both in person and on the phone and then also on the podcast. He's just a a wealth of information. I love his approach to to hunting and and he has such great balance too between family and and hunting and and work obligations um he's just a, an extremely good guy and he's had a lot of success this season um and, and it's really fun to see it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and so we get into it on the podcast and kind of talk about his season and break it down and what he did right and what he did wrong and what he learned from it and um yeah it's just fun to share in his success um so I enjoyed the conversation I think you guys will enjoy it too uh, sponsor for today's show is high mountain seasoning high mountain seasoning it's a great company i've been making a ton of jerky here this year and it just gets used up that way i think i've done like four or five giant batches and i just bring them with me every time i'm hunting and me and my buddies get into them and and uh it's just so good it's like candy so i i really like their their jerky seasoning i like their original um i also they have like a a a pepper and garlic blend that's really good, and then the one that I'm going to try next is like this spicy lime one. Uh, that one looks really good to me. But they have absolutely everything for processing your own meat. Um, they they also have uh, marinades for steak, um, anything to do with sausage and pepperoni. They have the casings for it. Everything you need for for processing and and making your own. You know, delicious meats, they've got it. So, um, high mountain seasoning, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, over there at Eastman's, um, man, it's been fun. Uh, just sharing in everybody's success. Like I say, Brandon's had an extremely successful season, and, and, um, a- and then Guy and Ike, Scott Reekers, he's coming up on the podcast. He's had a great season. Um, yeah, I just got, um, I just saw, uh, a buck that Ike shot, just a, a giant buck that, that he was able to harvest. And, and then, um, I saw guy harvest one as well. And, and I know Dan Picard had an amazing season. I'm trying to catch up to him and have him back on the podcast. Um, he's, he's, he's so good and articulate on the, on the podcast and such a diehard bow hunter like me that we, we just, uh, we gel and mesh really good. And so it makes for a good conversation, but, um, we'll get caught up with him. He's just been hunting like a madman like me. And, um, yeah, my, uh, my bow season here in Montana, um, bow season has finally come to an end. Um, what an incredible last couple days. I, you know, I had to get back to work, but the, the final weekend I went out just snowing and cold, like 10 degrees and blowing out of the North and, and, uh, deep snow and the elk just piled out of the mountains it was such insane huntings it just had some incredible encounters um it's so close Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that. I'm going to, I'm going to record a solo podcast, just my thoughts on the season and, um, thoughts on encounters and, and things that I've learned. And, um, you guys know me, I like getting on these solo episodes and having a a bit of a therapy session and then, you know, just, um, what I want to work on moving forward and the hunts I have left and, um it's just been an absolutely incredible season, uh, sharing it with good friends, sharing in their success, some success of my own, some amazing adventures. Um, I, I just, I am truly blessed in this life, like to be able to do what I love to do. So, um, yeah, it's just amazing. And got a couple hunts coming up with my daughters that I'm really looking forward to. So, um, uh, working with them and their shooting positions and, and the rifle and my youngest daughter, this is her first year being able to hunt. So I'm really excited to share that with her. So we're getting all ready. We, um, the youth hunt is Thursday and Friday where the, the youth can get out before the general season and do a little bit of hunting, which is just a great opportunity that Montana provides. Um, so I've really been working hard with her and then we're going to try to sneak out Thursday and Friday and get a little hunting done. So, um, Extremely excited for that, and then uh, have the Muley Rut coming up. Um, I got a couple tags left in my pocket, and I'm definitely going to be uh, a weekend warrior as I've got a, a lot of work on my plate, and I'll be working evenings and things. But um, I, I will be going hard for the weekends, and I I enjoy that too, where you where you go throughout the week and you're getting a bunch of work done and spending time with the family, and then I'll cut out for a couple two three days. And, um, go hunt really hard, enjoy my time and, and, uh, then get back to work. But, um, yeah, going to be a weekend warrior here and, and, uh, try to find some more success or, um, just, just have some more adventure, uh, some more experiences. Um, any, any more, like. I just really enjoy the process. I, I enjoy everything it takes, and I enjoy tough hunts and being out in nature and being able to unplug and unwind. And um, it, it, it's just uh, absolutely amazing to be able to live out west here and be able to enjoy that. So, um, all right, I've been rambling long enough. Let's get this thing rolling. This is a really fun, good podcast with with Brandon Mason from Eastman's um, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here with Brandon Mason from Eastman's. Um, Brandon, thanks again for being on with me, man. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we were talking just a few minutes ago. That it's been a while since we've been able to do one of these together, and especially with the craziness of the of the fall hunting season, it's been, you know, we've all been running <laughs> ragged 100 different directions, and it's so fun to see all the success photos pop up on our text messages. And I think – with all the advancements in technology over the last 10 to 20 years, I think my favorite thing is that we get to send hunting pictures around easier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is fun. It's um, it's great to share in everybody's success. and um, it, it takes so much hard work and effort, and especially in today's day and age uh, with public lands and the pressure in that. It, it, it's really fun when somebody's successful to, to be able to congratulate them in real time and then see everybody else's congratulations and comments coming. Come through um it's pretty neat to share that with friends
1: yeah and I think we all have that you know you'll send it out to a group of some of your closest friends or family members and like you said it's just fun to see all the comments going back and forth and oh man what did he score oh kudos to you oh that's awesome you had your son with you or you know whatever the comments are it's always positive and and it's like everybody's on the same team
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and um, yeah, your son with you, that was um, your story. You had uh, your son (laughs) videoing for you this year, and you were able to get a nice antelope down.
1: Yeah, ironically, it wasn't planned this way, but both Jordan Brashears and I uh, were hunting antelope in our own home states, um, and our boys, who are coincidentally about the same age, you know, on that preteen to early teen age, um, they spent a lot of time with us in the field anyway. And uh Jordan had taken his boy Wyatt out with him and Wyatt filmed him shooting an antelope and Hunter was out with me and, and uh Hunter spent I don't I can't remember how long Jordan and Wyatt were out, but I know we sure spent a lot of days and a lot of trips and a lot of beating our head against a wall trying to get that done and you know it was so funny because our I think we made three or four trips out there to uh try to get one with a bow and opening weekend in august i missed one um uh, over a water hole we were sitting under some salt cedar trees and and he just came right in perfectly at 30 yards and i just shot over him i mean it's just i just screwed up and hunter did a great job of getting the of course getting the footage of the miss you know you got to have that yeah <laughs> um but then the second trip we'd worked hard again and i didn't get any shots but came so close to getting shots and it was kind of cool seeing his um he's been out with me a lot to know that we don't get an animal every time we go out but he just wanted to film it so bad you know or to video it so bad he was so um not like throwing a tantrum or anything like that but you could tell he's just really bummed you know he just really wanted me to get one and he wanted to be the one to be the one to video it and he's like man dad I thought we were gonna get it done I'm like I know maybe we can get out again and and uh we tried everything from water hole uh, both in natural cover and um, sitting in a ground blind we, we did back-to-back days of 14 hours in the blind or in the natural cover in 95 degree heat and uh, we did spot and stock and we did, um decoying we sat by an irrigation pivot in an alfalfa field on private land that we had permission to hunt at one point point, uh, per the rancher's suggestion and that almost worked actually we were just sitting there acting like we were working on it you know we weren't trying to be quiet or anything and we had antelope that came within like 10 yards of us but of course they're always on the other side of the of the obstacle from where I was at but um, we tried that. We tried ambushing them. We tried, I mean, everything. You can imagine crawling through cactus and 100 degree weather and all that stuff. And then the day that I harvested my buck, we were on a two track. Uh, we just got done getting a, i I didn't pack enough food, which is rare. You know, I usually come home with way more food. And I just scrounging through the cooler to find something else. And believe it or not, a little side note we, are, um, we had two tortilla shells left and some of that new uh, High Mountain Seasonings jerky and some Frank's hot sauce. And we ripped up jerky, put it in a tortilla, and poured hot sauce over and that was our lunch. And, um, and we were kind of laughing about that. Just took a bite out of that, and I looked out my vehicle window as we we're, we're going to head out of this one chunk of land to go to another piece because we weren't seeing much. And I said, Hunter, man, there's a uh, dough and two bucks running our way. And, of course, I didn't think they'd get close enough to do anything about And this was the opening week in rifle season, but I was still holding out with my bow. And each of us have a couple extra doe tags uh, to fill with our rifle, too. And I said, hey, if that dough keeps coming, maybe you could, you know, fill one of your dough tags. And so he's getting all excited. And they kept coming and kept coming. So we just stopped what we were doing and got out of the vehicle, got him set up on his bipods, and, and she kept coming and kept coming. Of course, the bucks were following her because mid-September. And they're all rutted up and everything, and and I said, hold on, man, I she may bring those bucks right to us. And I knew how bad he wanted to film me shooting a buck with my bow, so I gave him the camera while he was set up on his rifle just in case. And then I grabbed my bow out. And one of the cool things is earlier that morning we were sitting by that irrigation pivot, and because we had antelope all over us, you know, everybody's familiar with a famous snort wheeze that the antelope does which is an alarm or a challenge signal right the, the everybody knows that sound but I love animal vocalizations whether it's elk or deer or whatever and nobody ever talks about the other sounds that antelope make par- probably because we only see them from a long ways away and I figured that the antelope had to make a lot of other sounds like other big game animals do but I never really I mean I didn't hear enough of them in close range ever to hear that and man there was probably 25-30 antelope in this around this irrigation pivot, and you can't believe how much those things talk. It was crazy, and it was really an educational experience. So later that day, when we we're on a whole other side of the unit that we were hunting, and just bounce around some two tracks, seeing what antelope were in that area, um, I noticed that as soon as I acted kind of serious with my position with my bow the doe stopped she put on the brakes and she I mean she could see us she saw our vehicle so it's not like we were hiding from her and but she just kept running our direction. It's like we were in her way. <laughs> but as soon as I acted predatory, boom she stopped and she just stared a hole through us. I'm like, oh, stop acting like a predator. Just stand here like you don't care if she's here. And then I started making some of those vocalizations with my mouth that I heard the animal making earlier in the day and not looking at her, just kind of catching her out of the corner of my eye. And she relaxed, and she kept coming. And she ended up bringing uh, the buck that I shot 54 yards away. And I pulled back and shot and hit him right in the shoulder, and he ran, I don't know, another 50 yards and piled up. We got it all on camera, and. It was a great day. So was, I, I didn't expect, after all the effort that we put through, to end up shooting one just next to the vehicle. <laughs> but that's the way it worked.
0: <laughs> well, you got to take the easy ones with the tough ones. You're out working so hard and crawling through cactus, and it, it you can't pass up when you get an opportunity that that falls right into your lap either.
1: No, for sure. And then it was kind of cool to see how she reacted to to me making or doing my best to make the sounds that an animal makes, and. And you know, ever since I think it was the late '90s, is the first time I saw some of Gordon Eastman's old videos of, um, you know, how to talk to the deer, how to talk to the elk, how to talk to the antelope, and I just seeing how the animals were responding to their calls, I was just enthralled with that. And and I, I just I love calling animals and and talking to them and their lingo and having them respond. And of course, it doesn't always work out, but when it does, it's so fun. Even if you don't end up shooting them. It just seeing how they react. I mean, a lot of times I do that with mule deer does, just because I I just get such a kick out of how temperamental they are, and uh, they almost run you over when they start coming in at you. And and so I wanted to try it with antelope, and it worked. So I'll have to keep that in mind for the future.
0: And I'd say so. Who was more excited, you or Hunter, when you shot that antelope?
1: Boy, I don't know. He was pretty pumped. I mean, he <laughs> was on he was on cloud nine, and I think. I think he was more excited for me because I filled my tag, and I was more excited for him because he actually got to video the whole hunt start to finish, and and plus we were able to do it with a bow. I mean, I'm, I'm a, an archery and a rifle hunter. I don't, you know, I, I love doing both, and so I don't have any problem with, you know, going back later in the season and harvesting something with a rifle if I didn't get it done with a bow, but we had come so close during archery season with antelope. It's like, man, I just want to get this with a bow so bad, and it finally worked out.
0: Good for you guys. This this antelope can be so challenging. They seem to humble me every single year. Like, I forget how tough they are, and every year I have to remember, you know, they just don't let you make any mistakes, ever. Like, they don't make you pop over a ridgeline too high, or sometimes you don't even make a mistake, and they still catch you, and... And I, you know, I was able to get really lucky. I got one on my first stock this year, a really nice heavy oh, wow. buck with good mass. And, and I just got lucky, Brandon. I just played it and they worked into me and I got a good shot on them. But then I had a, a couple of my Hawaii buddies come out and, and try to hunt antelope for the first time. And, and so I stalked a lot with those guys. and. And, uh, I saw, I saw a handful of misses, you know, and those guys were, were waiting for close shots. But even when you have everything go right, those antelope are small targets and, and they'll yeah. jump a string and not just duck a string like a whitetail. It seems like they're two, three steps out of the way by the time that arrow gets there. Not everyone will do it, but about one in three or one in four will jump that string like that. But just the, yep. the trials and tribulations, I don't know how many stocks these guys had and they're, they're an incredibly talented and skillful hunters, you know, they, they just, it was a new animal and they can see so good and they're in that, that open prairie that, that they had to learn some hard lessons too about waiting for them to get into a good place. And another thing that I really picked up on this year too is, um, you know, you're waiting for those antelope to be in a good spot. But it seems like by the time you get to that good spot, they've already moved or they're already gone from that ravine or that draw. And so you almost got to get in and kind of coyote them like you would in elk herd, where you – you just yep. kind of get in close, and you kind of keep with them, and, and don't let them know that you're there, or don't let them know that that they're being hunted, but you just let them be antelope, and just be patient, and you never rush it, and it's amazing how those antelope will put themselves in a bad spot, and then you're right there in striking distance to capitalize on it. So um, I had a lot of fun hunting it with those guys, and then um, another one of my buddies, uh, Clint Casper, we took him... Um, Oh out on the eastern side of the state we were uh, me and my buddy Dan had elk tags and I was kind of scouting for a hunt coming up and then um Clint had the only antelope tag cuz me and Dan had tagged out and so we would hunt mornings and evenings for elk and then the whole middle of the day we'd hunt for Clint's antelope and and he was coming all the way from Ohio, and he harvested a nice antelope out here last year. It just took him day after day, stock after stock, and so um, it was fun to take him out there. And and some of the bucks out there were just incredible. And then on the last day, we're just getting ready to leave, and I I spot a lone buck. I walked out to this edge, just a little bit of extra effort, where I walked off the road to look down into these these sagebrush coolies and draws that kind of rolled down. And I spotted this lone buck there and, and this buck, I mean, he's, I've been hunting antelope for 15 years and he's bigger than anything I've ever killed with my bow. He's just a giant. And, uh, so I, I told Clint, I said, yeah, there's a good buck there by himself, and same thing happened where he was stalking around the ridge to the where the antelope was, and by the time he got there being quiet, that antelope had moved and then bedded down, and so he adjusted his stalk and went back around, was patient, and then got a good shot on that buck, and man, he killed like an, like an 80 inch antelope that was 16 inches just with all this mass and it finally came together for him. So it's been fun, but I've also been humbled this season, even getting it done on my first stock, just because I, I've been hunting with buddies and you know, whether you're hunting with them or stalking with them or watching through that scope, you just want to see them, you know, be successful, you know, so bad, you know, it's like, uh, watching <laughs> antelope TV through the scope and, and you're dang near just as excited as you would be if you were hunting them yourselves. Just watching them yep. through the, the scope or, or being there with them on the stock and trying to get a range for them. I shot some video for my buddy Sean. We got some incredible video. But, man, are those things challenging. So how cool for you to pull it off with Hunter and you guys have this goal and work hard at it you know, all season. And, and then coming into rifle season and uh, you guys end up being at the right place at the right time and making the right moves and put that thing on film. I can't wait to see the film put together.
1: Yeah, me too. It'll be, I have looked at both uh, the kill shot and then the shot where I missed, um, because I just wanted to check out that footage more and he did a really, really good job of capturing those. So I'm excited to see, you know, what some of his other footage looks like. He's, he's kind of funny. He's got a pretty creative eye for, for how young he is and we'll be hiking along and any type of hunt. He's been out filming my elk hunt a little bit too. And, uh, Dad, Dad, stop, stop for a second. Stand right there. Put the bow on your shoulder. Look at that sunrise. Oh yeah, I'll get that in the background. There's a pine tree over there. And he just he has all these ideas that it doesn't even cross my mind. <laughs> I'm on a mission and I'm going and he's like, Whoa, stop right there. And it's like he's yeah, and I've never taught him to do that stuff. He that's just the way his brain works.
0: A videographer, a photographer in the making for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My yeah, daughter's the sure. same way. You know, I've got kind of that creative brain where I'm constantly thinking of shots or video I want to take. And a, same thing where I've had my video or had my daughter video for me before. Um, we do this adventure hunt every year where we go out to, to harvest a buck with her rifle. She likes to rifle hunt and um, we'll, we'll do that. But then I have my bow with me. And so last year we filled out early and she did some videoing for me. And so it's just really fun to spend time with her but yeah she's um she's got such a creative brain like even her her photography is just amazing I've just taught her everything I know about cameras which isn't much you know it's just everything I've picked up (laughs) over the years but then she's starting to learn you know, know, even, even more advanced things with that camera. And she just has her own eye for shots that she takes shots that I would never think of to take. And it's kind of like I've showed her how to use it and taught her everything I know, but then she has like her, her own perspective on things. uh, uh, What makes a good uh, photograph or what makes good video. It's really cool to see their brains work and then just to spend time with them. And it, it is like uh, you are a team out there, you know, and so you get back and forth and you get this experience together that I don't think you'd get any other way. Like you you get it hunting together, but it, it's, it's a pretty unique experience when you're trying to video or trying to photograph and, and uh, spending time and working as a team. I, I really enjoy it. It's fun to watch those young minds work.
1: Yep, it is. And, and they're, you know, the term that I've heard a lot of people use for the past, I don't know. 10 years or more probably is that the kids now are what they call digital natives. I mean, they, they, that's all they know. They don't know life when it was film. They don't know life when it was analog stuff and um, you know, for lack of better terms, crappier technology. Um, So all they know is what's now and it's so natural for them. They, I mean, we're at that age group where when we were kids, none of that stuff existed. And then, you know, we were in that high school, college, early adulthood stage. It's when it really started ramping up. And so we grew with it pretty easily. And then those that are older than us had a little bit harder time adjusting. But our kids, man, that's their world. And they're inundated with um, creative stuff all the time because this digital world has opened the possibilities for the normal Joe to be really good at taking photos and really good at, at um you know maybe graphically designing something whereas man 30 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever it you had to have a degree in that stuff and you had to dedicate your career to that now man you can just get on you know iMovie and (laughs) fart around with stuff and produce a product and it's pretty cool.
0: It is. It's really cool. Yeah. I I taught her just a little bit on the, the, the basic editing program I have for videos, you know, and pretty soon her and her sisters have a bunch of videos that they're able to, to share with family and friends and things. It, it's just amazing. Like you say, it's second nature to those kids where – where, where we didn't have that, I, I wish I would have had good technology all the way through or been able to capture hunts through through photographs or, or film. And, and part of our biggest challenge as parents right now is technology and trying to, trying to limit it and make sure that they're getting outside. But it's such a great merge of, of technology and outdoors. And like you say, it's second nature to them um, where I just want to keep cultivating it because you never know where it's going to go.
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, whether it turns into a career for them or just something that they really have a lot of fun with with their own family someday, um, yeah, the possibilities are endless. Well,
0: and it seems like they appreciate it too, like uh, like Hunter talking about, hey, stand there with your bow in that sunset. But you know, and and not that you can't enjoy those without taking footage or without taking photographs, but it gives them kind of an eye for it of how amazing that is, or how. How rare and how neat it is to be out in that place, like capturing that photo. So I, I think it brings weight to the, the outdoors as well. And it, it's kind of weird to talk about how technology could do that as you, a lot of the outdoors and a lot of us guys in our generations, you know, I, I get outside to get away from my phone and get away from <laughs> technology, you know, that I need a, a break from it and unwind and unplug. But, um, it, in the same breath, I think it makes them appreciate it more, and 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 what a cool setting it is that we're in, and that we're doing cool things, and kind of capturing that adventure so we can show mom when we get home, or we can you know show family and friends, or when she takes a really neat photo like it. It may be in a magazine someday, you know, the, in the Eastman's magazine. Yep. I may use it, you know, in there or, or or on my social media. So I think she enjoys that that portion of it too. And so, yeah, I think we've kind of got to accept the the merge of, of outdoors and technology.
1: Yep, it's a balance like anything, but it's a it's a powerful tool to use if it's used. Ethically and and wisely and like you said it preserves a memory if nothing else that's what on my you know that float hunt that you and I talked about a few months ago that I'd done last year uh, my friend Casey was you know he was all in favor of us taking cameras with because this is potentially a once in a lifetime adventure for us and even if we don't get a TV show for Eastman's Hunting TV or Beyond the Grid out of the deal um, we got to preserve a memory you know that we get to show our kids that our grandkids that we're not full of it. Look what we were talking about. We have that preserved right there. It's, it's available and hopefully perpetuity.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. And yeah, You know, I come back from these adventures and it's one thing to, you know, I tell my, my wife and my kids or, you know, m- my dad or my family and I, I tell them about this amazing adventure I had and I, I tell them about, you know, the, the highs and the lows and different things I went through. But it's a whole different thing to get your family together and to watch a hunt. Like, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of those things where Lindsay has just edited it together in this amazing show that I can sit my family down and show them that experience and, and, mm-hmm. And that's been really cool for me is to be able to actually share the hunt and what went on and the the footage behind it. So, yeah, it, it's a really cool memory. And I I remember looking at, at your Alaska float trip, and I didn't get to see the footage that you guys put together. But some of the photos that you captured were just absolutely amazing. And, and those are so cool to look back on as well.
1: Yeah, it just brings back a flood of memories. And uh, Casey and I have been texting back and forth the last month and a half. Um pictures from our trip or uh we see another picture somebody shot a nice bull moose or bull caribou up there and uh his his uh first question is always so when are we going back when are we going back when are we going back (laughs) so i don't know who knows maybe it wasn't once in a lifetime but we'll see it's just a pretty cost prohibitive adventure you know to do that every year it's just really expensive no matter how you do it
0: I'm in the same boat, but I, I have found like we, we should get all of us together for like one of those haul road trips, like something that we could afford. And you know, it's not the moose, but man, that caribou, that is so fun up there with it, with bows and arrows and a good group of guys. And I, I, I can't help but think back to that one and doing it this past year. We actually captured a bunch of footage from up there this year, but, um, man, oh man, um, that is a fun trip chasing those things around with the sharp sticks.
1: It sounds fun. I've heard you talk about that a lot and um, in, a, in a fairly affordable way to do it, you know, where you're not having to pay bush pilots and stuff. And, and you know, I always said I've been, you know, a grown-up hunting mule deer and my favorite thing in the world, even though I'm usually not very successful at it, is I love bow hunting mule deer more than anything. And I really love uh, rifle hunting them as well. Um, and I didn't think anything would even come close to comparing with that, but I've got uh, i've had the opportunity to hunt caribou twice and man that is right up there with hunting meal there for me i if i could bow hunt caribou every year oh my word i would be on uh, cloud nine you know guy and i went to quebec that one year and did it and then and then i got to go to alaska last year and they're just such unique creatures that i just their habitat's cool they're they're just the way they look is cool. Their meat tastes great. I mean, everything about it. And they're kind of like antelope where they have this, I don't know if you found this, but every caribou I've ever hunted, they have this buffer zone where, you know, with with antelope, you can usually get to within 60 yards if you work hard, pretty regular. And for me, I want I, I want to shoot. 50 and under that's kind of my own personal goal and so i don't shoot any of those 60 yard plus shots and and so i can get within 60 a lot like that's usually not too hard but anything closer than that and that's just like their buffers over. they're like no we're not putting up with this and with caribou it seems like it's 40 like 40 yards like you can get within 40 yards of caribou all day long at least of the couple of trips i've taken it was possible and um and I just think it's funny how they, they have a little bit less of a buffer zone because they, they don't see people as much, and they're not used to being hunted as much, and so they're a little more tolerant you know, of, of something being in their living room, so to speak. But they're just, I don't know, they're cool creatures. I just get a kick out of them.
0: Yeah, they're they're really neat creatures. I yeah, I refer to them like antelope too. I say like they're like hunting antelope with 400 inch horns, you know that. <laughs> yeah. That tundra is wide open, but you know I think they're perfectly suited for their habitat and I think the reason they have that buffer is, you know, when you're out there on, you know, a, thousands of square miles like if you have a wolf or a predator that's chasing you you can't relocate you know 10 20 miles away you got to just keep a buffer keep a distance in between them so like um and i think the the, uh, the caribou that i'm hunting on that haul road they're a little bit more high pressure they're a little bit more alert and um You know, it's kind of like hunting – it's the difference between hunting high-pressure elk and low-pressure elk or high-pressure muleys or low-pressure muleys. Like they just – they act a little bit different. They know there's humans after them, and so they – they're really switched on like I'm really impressed by their instincts and, and people talk about their curiosity the ones that I'm hunting they don't have much curiosity they know that you're a predator and they're trying to stay away from you but they do they have that buffer and, and I found it to be around like um maybe not 40 but like a, a couple hundred yards like they feel safe if they're a couple hundred yards away from you but inside that they start to get nervous and they don't want to be there anymore and in that wide open terrain it can be tough and challenging and I once I get inside a bow range like um they just seem like they're they're really switched on to movement to me drawing my bow and man i had a tough time getting one of those things arrowed this year i got in bow range at quite a few of them and just some some giant world-class caribou but um, uh, getting a shot and getting one kill. It took me to the very last day, and then I was finally I snuck up on one. Um, gosh, he was like forty yards in his bed, and I had to wait for him to stand. It was two bulls, and then he finally stood up. No idea I was there, and I was able to put a good arrow in him. But um, man, those things are challenging too. But I I think the reason I like them, like I really like animals that that are that that are good archery animals, in in you know, when you're hunting moose, like you may get one chance an entire 10-day trip to make a stalk and make a play and try to harvest one. It seems like yeah. caribou, it seems like I was getting a chance a day. Like I I probably got 7 or 8 stalks on these caribou and so it's this high opportunity uh hunt where you you get that excitement and that thrill of trying to get close and that's some of my favorite bow hunting when i when i can earn that many opportunities you know so i have really enjoy hunting those caribou too they're just an amazing critter
1: yep yeah, and in that way you're right they're a lot like antelope where they uh you know it's high opportunity you're seeing for the most part unless you would miss a migration or something you're seeing a lot of animals um you know almost all day long and, and it's just a lot of action a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that spot, you know, we had talked, I think the last podcast we did was on that Alaskan adventure. And we actually floated two rivers that were pretty well side by side. You know, yours yeah. was over a drainage from where I was hunting down there. And so I- I'm like you just because of the cost. I wasn't able to do it again. But the the guys that I went with, um, they planned another trip and went back up there this year. I wasn't able to join them, but they um, did that same float again. And uh, they hit the caribou migration perfect, and they killed three bull caribou between the three of them. And the bulls they killed were just, oh, just amazing, just the palmation and tine length. And, you know, we're 100 miles from the nearest town. It's super remote. Um, but, man, oh, man, the quality they harvested was amazing. And then they ended up getting a, uh, I think it was a 64-inch bull moose, just a gorgeous wow. bull moose. Um just down and you know uh, a lot due to the the effort that that we put in when we were up there as we scouted everything and found camp spots and where the bulls like well they found them um, in our our first camp downstream right off the bluffs that we had hunted and found that bull and was able to harvest them so they had a a real successful trip this year being able to get one moose down and then the the three caribou so i was sure excited to see those messages come through like we were talking earlier in the podcast uh, i think i got a uh, a delorme or a, a garmin inreach message from them that they got a bull down i was super psych for them and then once they flew back to town they sent me pictures and um uh, so excited for them. Him. that's um it, it's such a lot of commitment to get in there and and then you're living floating down it's it's such a great experience and i was just really happy to see him have some success this year on a bull moose so that was pretty cool to see
1: yeah i bet that is awesome did, did they say anything about how their uh, river conditions were because uh, i know somebody that floated the river we did and last year the river that we were on is kind of feast or famine so if 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 they get enough moisture it is raging fast, and that's the way it was for us. In fact, a couple times I thought, this may be more than I bargained for <laughs> because it was going so fast. But um, the flip side of that is you're dragging all the time. And the guy that went on that same river that I know um, this year, he so it was an 80-river-mile float, and I think he drug for half of it.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he literally,
1: the first half of the – of the 80 mile trip he drug his raft the entire way he said he didn't float one time
0: oh my until, gosh that I is can't brutal
1: even, i can't even fathom that like i mean we had to you know drag a couple times where um you know maybe we picked the wrong channel or something to go down or whatever but it was nothing you know compared to what what he had emailed us on and i'm like Man, that does not sound like fun at all. He said, needless to say, I know every stretch of that river system intimately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he had to be so sore and so worn out by the end of that. Dragging those rafts is tough work, too.
1: Um, Oh, boy, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I haven't got in-depth with these guys. I need to sit down and go over their hunt and how it went. Um, But they hadn't mentioned having to drag so much. I know, you know, the top end can be – um, you know, a little shallow up there and, and where, yeah. it, where it really gets bad up there is when we start to get the freezes because it, it freezes all the ice and uh, up top, uh-huh. all the glaciers. And so then the rivers run pretty low. Um, but then it gets into pretty good water down below. So they hadn't mentioned anything, but I'll have to get together with them and ask them. Um, I think if they would have had to drag 40 miles, they, that would have been <laughs> said somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would assume so.
0: Yeah. But yeah, you just never know what you're going to get up there. You never know what you're going to get with any hunt. And and every hunt, it's so weather dependent. It reminds me of like elk season this year, like every elk season, you know, I've hunted the last, you know, I don't know, 20 elk seasons in Montana, but every year is so different and it's all due to the weather, you know, and the weather, whether uh, the the weather in the summertime, was it dry? Was it, was it wet? Um, you know, how much, how much hot temperatures did you have? And then once it comes into season, you know, the moisture content, the snow, the, the fires, we had two big fires in our Valley this past year, but it just all affects the, the elk and their, their habits and behavior so much. Like it, so much of hunting is dependent upon the weather. It's just amazing.
1: Yep. Yep, you're right. Elk season especially, well, I mean, it depends on where you're hunting, I guess. But when you hunt in this part of the country, you know, on the Rocky Mountain West, if you don't get the right weather, it seems like the rut won't turn on when you think it does. And, uh, you know, it can affect their running behavior and where the wallows are at if everything's dried up. And then if you have a fall like you remember the one last year or September, this whole region had a ton of snow. And I drew a really good elk take last year. And it totally screwed up the hunt. All the elk have migrated out early, and uh, it really affected the quality of the hunt. Whereas an area we're familiar with, where in an average year, we don't know right where to go, where to backpack into, where to hunt, where to sit, where to glass, everything. Um, But we couldn't even get in there because there was so much snowfall in September. It was like it was November already or something. And, yeah, that can really mess with elk season. Big
0: time. Yeah, it can mess with the rut as well and rutting activity. And sometimes the weather turns them on, sometimes it turns them off. You know, I found here in Montana this, you know, October is usually pretty good rutting action, but a lot of these elk have taken to like more of a a migrational habits, you know, where I'm just watching them move and move to different features and they're not rutting a whole lot, you know. Um, So it's just so dependent on the weather. And you have your spots that are good year after year, but. It just seems like you find these elk in different places every year, and that's. Uh, I'm really making a point to keep a journal of it, and I I've kept a journal at times, um, throughout my hunting career, but then I kind of get away from it. But I really want to keep one journal that talks about you know the dates and the the weather we're dealing with, and then where I'm finding elk and where I'm not finding elk, um. Because it seems like when the conditions are similar, you'll find them in the same locations doing the same thing, you know. And it may be five years down the road, you know, to where you get those similar conditions. But I, I'm just seeing so many similarities in the country they like and their behaviors due to these weather patterns. I I want to do a better job of keeping track of it. I think it'll really help my elk hunting in the future.
1: Yeah, it's almost like building your own. MRS you know like we do in the magazines it's like you I don't think you've had the opportunity to put one of those together yet um, but it's it's such an immense amount of information that you pour over but it's like what we do personally with gear and with uh, animal trends and weather trends just like you're talking about because pretty soon when you start writing down all these fun facts it paints a picture and it's almost like plotting points on a graph and then you see clusters of points around certain things and it starts to make sense. And you're like, man, I'm seeing a trend here and I need to focus on that trend, whether it's positive or negative. And so you can either capitalize on it or avoid it. And yeah, I'm guilty about not writing a lot of that stuff down too, because I'm sure I'm missing opportunities because I'm not putting two and two together enough on areas I've hunted.
0: Yeah. There, there's um, there's there's just so much that goes into it too. And whether it's fishing or hunting, um, Yeah, you know, if you could just start to plot that, I like what you say, like uh, plotting a graph and and what's happening, and then, you know, trying to read that to put yourself into more critters, but, um,. Yeah, it, it's just amazing, and then also, like, I've never really been a big believer in moon phases and things, because you're not sure sure what's causing the, you know, what's the cause and the effect, or was it overcast that night? But, you know, I'm going to jot that down, too, and even if I don't believe in it, like, if I, if I start to write it down enough, I think um, I will be able to kind of plot it, like you're saying, to where maybe I'll be able to tie something to those moon phases as well.
1: Yep. Yeah, you never know. I mean, we all have our opinions on moon phases and, and does weather affect triggering the rut to kick in or not, and is it more based on photo period or what. Um, we can debate those till the cows come home, but um, you can't argue with things you are actually seeing in the field, you know, ground-truthing them, so to speak, that it's like, no, man, I know this is what I've seen every time I've been out, so there's got to be something to it.
0: Yeah, well, and you you come up with all these theories of why the elk are doing what they're doing and and why they're behaving the way they're behaving, and I notice it's different even in different areas. I've seen snowstorms come in and fire the elk up, and I've seen snowstorms come in and shut the elk totally down where i see bulls feeding just you know and i don't know if it's dependent on the area or dependent on the time of year i, I mean i really i've always said that elk rut it's when cows go into estrus and the the rut it it, it ebbs and flows it goes up and it goes down and it, it it goes up when there's cows in estrus and goes down when there's cows out of estrus and in a lot of times that elk rut you can be on one side of the valley, and they're not rutting at all. The bulls aren't even with the cows. There's no action, yeah. no bugling. And you move down the range 10 miles, and those elk are, are going absolutely nuts. You know, they're they're, uh-huh. they're bugling like crazy. And so, you know, it, it is just those cows coming in or coming out, but there's got to be things that, that trigger it as well to that time of year, you know, the, through the phases of the rut. And you can run into great rutting action September 5th. And, and all the way through, and you can also go in September 20th and see a bunch of elk, and none of them are rutting. And then in October they're rutting again. So it just really it comes in and comes out due to those cows coming in estrus. But just the more information you can log about, you know, they're, where they're hanging out, the the rutting behavior, you know, the drainages they like, you know, you you can start to to see you know where you should be that time here because the the biggest challenge with elk too is is finding elk it seems like to me It's just locating them locating the rut party and then getting into them and you can spend days looking for it but it, if you could tie it to those conditions a little bit more and the feed conditions and the the summer you had or the snow that's coming in you know and, and then start to make better more educated guesses of where you should be hunting and, and then transpose that information into to other points in the valley or other other drainages you like because you have it down in your notes i think it'd just be hugely beneficial
1: yeah i mean for example this year in wyoming at least the unit that i was hunting elk i went out because again i am not never been a big believer in the moon phases like you but um i i thought well i'm gonna put i'm gonna stack the deck in my favor and so the moon phase is perfect but it was really early like september fourth or fifth i think Todd Helms and I went out uh, to try and chase elk around and with a bow, and um, we expected to maybe get in some pre-rut behavior and kind of more of a glorified scouting trip that week and then go out the next week. And uh, we got in the middle of a rut fest on September 5th. And then uh, in southern Colorado, I heard that the elk rut was just kicking in now. I mean, like they didn't weren't even really doing much until now. I mean, that's a huge difference. Across really not that far away.
0: A huge difference. Isn't that wild? Um, Yeah, it is just amazing. I used to go into a spot every year in the opener, and Montana opens the first Saturday in September, so it can be anywhere from September 3rd to September 7th. And I and I'm I'm eager to go into this spot again. It's been years. I used to go in there with my dad every year, and we'd backpack in there, and me and dad would share a camp in there. And every year, these elk would get together, and it was kind of like a spot where all the cows would hang out in summer, all all throughout the summer months. And so, you know, anytime you'd go in there in the summer, there'd be a hundred elk on different features in there, but the bulls wouldn't be with them. But every year during that that first little part of September, and whether it was September 3rd or September 5th or September 7th, when it opened every year, these bulls would move in and there'd be this giant rut fest of bugling. And it was kind of where they, they sorted it all out. Like they, they would split up those hundred cows and start breaking them into groups and start, you know, taking those groups to different places. But it was kind of like the kickoff of the rut every year. They, they would start this rutting action and it only lasts for about three days, four days, and then all those elk would move out of that drainage and they take those groups of cows into different basins, different drainages, and then you'd have to chase them to different spots. But it would happen every year and, and a lot of years, like you say, September 5th, you know, hardly anybody's even elk hunting or thinking about bugle and elk there. And I would have some of the best rutting action I'd have of the entire year in that <laughs> that beginning stages of September. It's just amazing. So I got to remember that and get back into that spot in the beginning of September. I can't believe I haven't been back in there for a few years now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it goes against, you know, everybody thinks elk rut September 15th, right? That's the date. That's what everybody talks about, mid-September. And, man, that's that's a good guideline, but it's not a hard number we as human beings i think sometimes that animals follow a calendar like we do and (laughs) it's not the way it goes
0: no they don't follow our calendar do they
1: (laughs) no it'd be Um... nice if they you know follow my weekends where i can go hunt and everything else
0: (laughs) Oh, isn't that the truth? Well, and I think a lot of times you're just missing that rut action due to, you know, you can only be out for the weekends and those cows may have came into estrus on Wednesday. and By the time you get in there Saturday, they're all cooled off again and you think, oh, the rut's not going on. Well, it is. It's going on and going off and it just happened earlier in the week when you weren't there.
1: Yep, yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, well and I've also had really good elk hunting in October and I uh, I've been elk hunting hard here and it hasn't been the the best October for rutting action but we're still finding and getting into elk but I always like this October season and I I hunted the the breaks for quite a few years and um I used to love October because it's a high pressure unit and everybody would take their time that third and fourth week of September. By the time October got there, nobody was in the woods. You had the whole place to yourself. And these elk, you know, they were still rutting really hard. They tend to group up that time of year. You get second cycle estrus cows where they, you know, the bulls missed them on their, their first cycle of estrus. And so, you know, they come back into estrus and those – um those bulls, they'd be fired up and I'd get into dang near just as good a rutting action in that October as I would September. And and I'd have absolutely no pressure. I'd have the whole place to myself. In fact, the last handful of bulls I've killed with my bow have been in October, you know, so there's good hunting to be had all the way throughout season from the very beginning to the end. You know, it's just a matter of of finding those elk and, and hitting that rut right, it seems.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I normally I really like hunting elk in October. I think it's a lot of fun, and it seems like that second cycle kicks in. And Scott Rekers and I have had a lot of uh, a lot of good elk hunting in that early October time frame. Uh, where we'll go into an area. Like not all states offer this, but for example, in Wyoming a lot of times the the archery season butts right up to the rifle season. And so you can go in the last three or four days of archery and and maybe get it done with your bow. Uh, But if you don't, you're right there for opening day of rifle and and ready to go. You know where all the elk are at. And there's been times where him and I backpacked about eight miles into this one area, and we had so many elk bugling around us one night. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning where we just wanted to yell, shut up because we can't, we couldn't sleep. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, you hate to complain about elk bugling, you know, but it was amazing how many elk were bugling. We had one elk that you could hear him walk through where our, our kind of, well, I won't say campsite, but I mean, you know, cause we we're backpack, ultralight hunting and all that stuff. But, um, he had walked within 20, 30 yards of our tent at 3am bugling his brains out. And we're just like, this is unbelievable. I mean, we were both of us got up and were sitting in the tent, not able to sleep, reading whatever we brought with to read in the middle of the night because we couldn't sleep anyway. I mean, there's nothing nothing we could do about it. The elk were just going bananas in there. It was crazy.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good problem to have when you can't sleep. There's too many elk bugles. I, I just <laughs> love that at night, though. You know, in that night, what a great time to locate elk. I think that's one of my biggest secrets. Is um, it you know the Elk hunting is such morning and night, and sure you can get those days where those elk will rut, you know, into noon and middle of the day, and they do get up in the middle of the day and and rut. But they're they're so nomadic by nature that it seems like I spend a lot of my time looking for elk. But you can only look for them in those mornings and evenings. And sure, I glass middle of the day and I cover some country. I look for sign, but but really that first hour and that last hour for being able to spot them in meadows and and see the herd and know where they're at. And so your window is so short to find those elk, you know, that that I use that night to locate elk quite a bit. And whether I'm backpack hunting – just to get up on the ridge where I can listen to a couple different drainages and just throw a bugle out and you don't want to bugle too much you definitely don't want to call one in but just to get that answer to know where they're at and I know you know this season um, gosh I located a lot of bulls by, by calling at night and going okay there's one now I know where I'm going in the morning I know where this bull is where you know before that night or before that evening I didn't have any elk located I was going to have to start from scratch but I just love that throwing a call out at night and we also. Also did like a lot of um, day hunting from from my house. I live in a great elk valley, and so you know we can hunt the morning, and then you know come back to the house and I can get some work done or do you know be productive in the middle of the day or sometimes we'd stay out all day and hunt or camp out for a couple of days do like a 2-3 day mission but a lot of days we were just day hunting and so when we were traveling back to the house at night we'd just stop and just you know kill the truck on our way back home and I'd throw out a bugle up into a drainage or we'd hike to a little hill at night and throw out a bugle it's amazing how many elk you can locate at night because they're rutting hard all night long it's it's such a great time to locate elk it seems like
1: yeah it's just like when those some of those um, times when you're in the field when a lot of other hunters um, have already hunted hard you know during the season the animals know you know they can tell when there's no pressure and obviously there's a reason why they're active at night is because we're not and um, yeah it's a great opportunity to locate animals for sure and they're pretty vocal uh, during during that time I love it
0: Yeah. Well, and I can't tell you how many times I see this. And I mention this. I, I dang near talk about it every article I write. And, you know, every time I'm talking on the podcast, it's just that extra effort to be out to that last light or to make sure you're hiking in the dark in the morning to be at that first light spot. But I can't tell you how many times this year where I've I've seen people leaving or, you know, you go through and you see people back at camp like, uh you no, know, there was this campsite that you know, there was actually a lot of elk around this campsite. But everybody was camped in this campsite, not, you know, right around like a couple hundred yards away, but like within a mile or two of this campsite. And you could see the fires going at night. Or in the evening, and people back at camp and starting on dinner, and, and uh, gosh, you'd glass up there, and these elk are just starting to come out. And it's almost like people wear themselves out throughout the day looking so hard when the elk aren't out that by the time it gets to evening, they've almost given up, and they're back at camp. And that's when you locate them you know, is that last hour. Yeah. And, and I had it just the other night where there was one truck at the trailhead. And I was just glass, and I was on a good vantage point, and I was just setting up for that last hour, and I, I saw these guys coming down the trail, get down to the truck, and they're opening their doors. And just about that time, I glass up on the feature above them, and there's elk just piling out in the meadows, and there's three, four bulls, and they're coming out, and they're starting to bugle, but I think they're just too far away from these guys, but this is the exact trail that these guys just came out of. It sits right above it, and these elk are coming out and going nuts as these guys are hopping in their truck and then driving down the road and leaving, and we're all guilty of it, you know, and I'm, I'm sure people have seen me, too, where I'm getting ready to leave and there's elk coming out, or, you know, I just miss them and don't see them. A lot of times when you're on the feature, it's tough to glass that feature. Future, but um, it's just amazing how many times I've seen it this year. Where just that, that just staying out that last hour, that last little bit of light, that's when those elk like to come out.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially in areas where they're heavily hunted, or if they're the bigger bulls. You know, they they're big for a reason, like we all say. And they they've been through this rodeo, who knows how many years, and they're like, eh, it's about time for those guys to go back and start cooking supper. I guess I can start rutting again. <laughs>
0: Isn't yeah, that the truth? You,
1: yeah. You wonder how conscious they are of that, but I'm sure they don't think it through in that detail. But um, it's just, I don't know, they, the animals know. I mean, it's we're in their living room, and it's, it's no different than if somebody would come into our house and have camouflage clothing on that looks like our Lazy Boy recliner, and you walked into your living room, you'd know something is weird. You know what I mean? Like something's different. This, the sounds are a little different. I, I'm not. I'm trying to put two and two together in my own home here, my own living room. Something's not right, and it feels weird. That's what we're doing when we're, you know, in their backyard. Is, is, they're there every day. I mean, they know every what every bush should look like, what what the smells are supposed to be like, what the sounds are supposed to be like. And when you really stop and think about it, especially with a bow, it's amazing how many times. We're successful in spite of all that because the odds are sure stacked against us.
0: It's such a great analogy because you're right. Like maybe sometimes you don't think those elk are spooked but they're aware of your presence. Like they know something yep. just isn't quite right. And, and I think those are when your best opportunities come is when those elk have no idea that you're there, whether, you know, it's perfect win. And of course, if elk get your win, they're going to spook out of there, but it, it's, it, you're right. It's like somebody sitting in your living room and, and you just get that feeling, even though they're in camo and they're, they're in your, you just, you'd feel that their presence, you'd feel that there's pressure in there and you'd act different, you know, the same way an elk does. And I, I think that's maybe the key to harvesting them is is just trying to be, you know, so low impact in the woods and not making, you know, uh, whether it's smelling your campfire or tracking tracks all the way through their bedding grounds or whatever the case is. But if you could just be low impact and not let those elk know you're there and let them be elk, it's amazing what you can get away with as far as movement and as far as, you know, stalking in on those elk. And, and maybe your first call setup is going to be your best setup just because they're not yep. aware of your presence. I think that's your maybe your best opportunity to, to harvest one of those bulls. And, oh, to your point, too, with those, um, those bigger bulls, Um, and how they act with pressure, you know, I've also seen those big bulls where they'll come down and rut the cows at night, and they actually won't keep with the herd or bed with those cows during the day. They'll go off on their own or by themselves and bed in timber by themselves just because they know that pressure, you know, and they don't want to be caught with those cows during the day. So I've and I've seen it with really big mature bulls, where they come down and rut those cows at night, in the middle of the night, and then they leave the party, leave the herd, go off on their own, and then come back down at night too. And so sometimes the elk you see are not all the elk that are there. And I can remember a couple of years ago this this group of I don't know forty or fifty elk, and I could just see some bulls in there. And there was one six point that I that I shoot. It was a pretty good mature six point. So I figured, well, I'll go in and go after them. And, um, man, I caught up with one of the biggest bulls I've ever chased that was doing that exact same thing, rutting those cows at night and then going off on his own and going back up there. And I never even knew that bull was in there until I got in there and started hunting them. So I think those mm-hmm. big bulls, they've kind of adapted to the human pressure as well, rutting those cows during you know nighttime hours only, to, to your point that you were making.
1: Yeah, and I think, honestly, the bull that I ended up uh, harvesting here last week – I think that's what he was doing. We saw him. I really saw him completely on accident when we were in there bow hunting a week prior. And I was up on this ridge and I'd gotten really energy depleted on the hike in there it, to the point, you know, where you get to the point where you feel sick. You know, you almost feel like you're getting the body aches and you're dehydrated. And so I started force feeding myself, even though in the, the ironic thing is, is you lose your appetite too. So you don't want to eat. But you have to or else you're in big trouble, especially for the rest of the hunt. And it was the first night in there, and uh, I was just really – I was getting the shakes, and I had the body aches, and I thought I'm either getting sick or I'm just really depleted because I didn't eat enough during the day or drink enough. And – So I started force-feeding myself, and, you know, that point where you're choking down a mountain house, literally, where you're gagging as you're swallowing this (laughs) food. And I'm doing that while I'm glassing, and I felt so terrible. I I just – I really, honestly, I want to go back home, but we'd already hiked all the way in there. And and so I thought, well, we're glassing on this ridge, And, and I was seeing elk here and there, not too many but just a couple cows, and the sun was just hitting this little clearing and this heavy timber just right And I glassed over to my right and there was this bull, which ended up being the one I shot with my rifle. And I looked at him and at first I'm sure it was because I was so tired and feeling sick, but I felt just like discouraged because I was looking at him going, there is no way that I can even get to that bull with a bow. And maybe not even with a rifle. He is unhuntable where he's at. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was kind of just let down and, and, uh, it was a new area that I hadn't hunted yet, and uh, we were I was hoping that I was going to see him and some cows and seeing some activity bugling. He wasn't bugling. He that I could see, he didn't have any cows with him, and so we went on a mission. Um, uh, it was the first week of rifle season. I think the rifle season was open for four days, and Scott Reekers and I hiked in there, and we went on the other side of the drainage, and we were sitting above where, or kind of on the level where I saw him the week before um but above where we expected him to come out if he would come out of the timber it's really heavy timber up in this basin and i thought this bugger is living up here you can't see him from any horse trails and 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 he's not bugling so there's no way you're going to hear him in there he's a smart old bull and i was just hoping he'd make a mistake and then we were sitting there for about an hour or two and i heard a faint bugle and we'd seen a couple raghorns in there but i thought man i don't might be them i don't know and scott uh, scott chirped on his cow call a couple times and we noticed that every single time that scott cow call and we were doing it really moderately no we weren't doing it real aggressive or nothing and every time that he would cow call this bull would shut up and i'm like he did it three different times over the span of about an hour probably and i'm like that's a big bull in there with cows But how are we going to go after him? It's heavy timber. I mean, it looked absolutely impossible to to hunt this bull. And we started looking at the ripples in the terrain and where the bugle was coming from. And you could tell he's a couple small drainages over in this big basin. And I said, well, even if he was interested in the call, he's not going to come that far, you know, to come to us. And... And then about the same time, I was looking at I had uh, some of the tiles downloaded from satellite imagery from Onyx Maps, and I was looking at this basin. And like I said, I'm not from, super familiar with this this drainage, and I'm like I, I noticed that there's an opening in this heavy timber, and I'm thinking I think we can get on this bull. And where the where the opening is is right where the bugle's coming from. I'm like that's got to be a bull down there. We put the cows in. It's a couple hundred yards. Uh, down the drainage from where I saw the one the the week before and and about the same time Scott was noticing it and he said dude we got to go after that bull I think we can get on him and so we bushwhacked through this heavy timber just going real slow at turtle speed and we got within probably 400 yards of where we were hearing the bugle come from we're going really slow and we got to this open hillside and uh I noticed a cow down below, and she busted us. And I'm like, oh, great, we screwed it up already. (laughs) And I I kept a a pine tree between her vision of us and, and them, and we worked down to the pine tree, and I got the bipods out, and I scooted up the hill above the pine tree. She still honed in on us, but she wasn't moving, and none of the other elk had taken their cue from her to be on alert. And Scott had the video camera running, and he said, man, I'm on that opening, and he's bugling right around that opening. That um, he, he's going to make a mistake. He's going to step into that timber. This could be his downfall. And he said, I'm, "I'm on the opening, and we got an hour of camera battery left. If he appears, shoot him." And I was on my bipods for 20 minutes, waiting for him to make an appearance. And he finally did, and he presented a perfect shot, and you know, I was able to get him. But he is just like one of those bulls that you were describing, where he was rutting a little bit. And if he wouldn't have made the mistake of bugling, uh, that particular day when we were in there, we never would have found him. There's no way. Because the week before, he was completely silent and by himself.
0: Man, that is wild. Yeah, congratulations. And what a heck of a bull, too. Um, gosh, it... It's wild how sometimes those little things just make the difference, that faint bugle, and just, you know, that's kind of where I saw that one last week, or, you know, and you just make that approach, and and also the onyx, that onyx and having that saved to your phone to where you can look at that aerial imagery, that also helped you kill that bull, is knowing there was a, a meadow in the, you know, inside that timber in and through there, um... Man, that is just wild, Brandon. That is so cool. Had to be a a thrilling hunt. Um, Sitting on those bipods, waiting for him to show himself and and knowing that one cow kind of had you, you know, but waiting for him to come out and let him kind of be elk again and then then making a good shot on him. Um, Man, what a cool hunt. Yeah,
1: and the funny thing is, you know, the week before, I thought he was totally unapproachable with a bow and maybe with a rifle. And now seeing where he was living, he was extremely – um, bow huntable. I mean, I'm not saying I would have gotten them for sure, but we definitely could have made a play on him, knowing what I know now. But again, it's a new area and I'd spent, I think, 10 days of hunting a few drainages over from this and was having a lot of opportunity at elk. I think I had 10 different bulls within 40 yards or less, but couldn't get shots for one reason or another. And uh, so we decided to try this other area just to check out what's going on. And you know, and it ended up producing. I'm, you know, thankful that I had some good friends that know the area really well, and they keep me in into how to get into this one particular spot and everything. It's not like I just found it on accident and, and found a big bull and shot it. It wasn't that easy. I mean, this is years of intel from guys that know it like the back of their hand, and I just happened to know them. <laughs> you know, it was just a, a real fortunate thing.
0: Oh, how cool. It sounds like you had a heck of a bow season then, too. That's quite a few elk inside a bow range. Uh, oh, man. They just... It was,
1: it was a bow hunter's paradise in there.
0: <laughs> it um... really
1: was. It was all public land. You know, we we're doing it ourselves. And not that I mean, I don't fault anybody for hunting private because I do that sometimes, too. And, and even guys that use guides and outfitters. I mean, you know, it just depends on the situation and what your, uh, what your expectations of a hunt are. But, um, I was just really, Really happy with how this fall went because I was able to do it on public land on our own. And I had some good friends that really, you know, Todd Helms, um, our, our managing editor here, he knows that unit like the back of his hand. And without, I mean, he literally taught me 10 years worth of information of where he normally finds elk. Uh, you know, just navigating around the terrain, how to get into this drainage or that drainage, and he was out with me the first four days, and I really thought we were going to get it on. We had so many opportunities, it just wouldn't work out because the wind would switch, or there's too many cows in the way. And the first day, that September 5th, we got into that rut fest. Um, we had, we guesstimated roughly a hundred elk that were 40 yards away from us, and there was four or five—I can't remember now—I think there's four six-point bulls. That were within forty yards and I couldn't shoot. If you can imagine such a thing, and it, it was just such an experience. I mean, the the audio on the video that we took was so deafening with elk bugling and cows talking. It was so awesome to hear them doing their thing without thinking we were there.
0: Man, that is so special. That uh, being into that that great elk hunting uh it takes so much effort and a lot of times it takes trip after trip and day after day but when you finally get into a rut fest like that uh it's just amazing to to be present and living and and be there to witness that and and then to have the challenge of trying to arrow one and i i do know what it's like to have those elks so close they have such a knack for making the right moves at the right times for them the wrong moves (laughs) at the wrong times for us but um Just whether it's a limb or whether it's a tree or, you know, in between the trees or they're always moving and you cow call at them and they don't stop or they just have such a knack for making those right moves and not offering a or presenting a good shot. Um, but how cool that experience! um you know, that's what i live for is getting into those elk like that 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 makes your whole season and then you know to, to to be able to punctuate by going back in and and to continue to hunt it and then killing that that really nice heavy big six point that you did uh what an elk season man uh you, you're a happy hunter freezers full and um uh, good experiences to go along with it I, I couldn't be happier for you man that's awesome
1: Yeah, it's been a really fun fall and lots of fun trips. And the nice thing is I was spoiled because I I drew the antelope and the elk tags were both within an hour and a half to two hours of my house. So I could do – this year, instead of doing a couple week-long trips, I did, I think for both antelope and elk, I did four different three- to four-day trips. And so you could go out there, you still get work done, you know, the first half of the week, and then I would go out like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or or Wednesday through Sunday, or something like that, and I would just go really hard for like three or four days, so you know that you don't really have to leave any energy reserve in the tank, because you're like, I'm only going to be out here for three days, and so you go really, really hard, and man, we were just being so aggressive, and, and getting into the living room of these elks, I mean, every single time I had, you know, like I said, the first time I was out with Todd, and then I wanted to go out that very next week, and Everybody's schedules in the office here were just everybody's going 100 different directions and it, where i was hunting is in the thick of grizzly country too so i wasn't going to go out by myself and uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, who's come down here hunting meal there with me um as well his name is patrick isaacson um him and i went to college together we worked at the game and fish department together and uh he drove eight hours down here just to go out with me for three days and he, he didn't have a tank he just because he's a good friend you know and came out and we got to me and him and hunter spent three days in the field together and almost got it done within the first hour and then every day we had two or three opportunities and had a great time and then the next week Scott Reekers went out with me and then the next week he went out with me again to to try to film the the rifle uh, shot if I'd get one and it was just a just a great season so far of Good time with family and friends in the field, lots of action, lots of repeated opportunity every week going out there for kind of an extended weekend trip. And uh, and the best part is, to be honest with you, I mean, I was excited that I drew the elk and antelope tags, but my son drew one of the hardest mule deer tags in the state, and that starts on Monday. And so I, I'm not even the one going to be pulling the trigger, and I'm salivating for that hunt. I cannot wait. And he's so excited. It's his first antlered uh animal tag that he's ever had he's shot some antelope does and stuff but um yeah it's going to be a, a great time
0: oh how cool the season continues and yeah that um it's so neat family and friends and um and, and what the what good friends will do for each other and it it just um it it continues the the, the circle of it too as is, is it just makes you want to to go out and help those buddies that helped you even more and and like you say salivating at this next hunt to go out and help hunter get his first antler game animal on this good mule deer tag um it, it's just so cool and that's what hunting really is about like um we're so driven and we want to get out and 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 harvest animals and and find a nice bull or a nice buck but that's me too i i've shared a lot of hunts with a, a lot of friends this year and and help them be successful and then help them get opportunities so they can witness that through their own eyes, that amazing rutting action, you know, with a bow in their hands and, and chasing a great big six-point bull. Um, and that's some of the, the most fun I've had all season, and, and sometimes, you know, trumps even me having my bow in my hands and hunting that bull um, I, yeah. I just love that relationship between family and friends and what you'll do for each other. And it's so fun to share those hunts together. But, yeah, uh, well, that's awesome. I wish you all the luck for you and Hunter's uh, tag coming up here next week. Um, it sounds like you're going to spend some more time in the woods. And, yeah, uh, my season isn't over yet. We've got a few more days of elk season left here and then, uh, like, one more weekend. And, and like you were saying, you're so effective in those those short-duration hunts where you can go so hard. So I, I'm looking to go really hard here this last weekend and then uh you know got another mule deer hunt coming up during the rut that i'll share with family and friends as well and and hunting with my daughters is coming up that i'm really looking forward to so uh it's just so fun uh hunting season when it's here it all comes at once and you got to get your work done in between which i'll be working late tonight and uh you know throughout the weekend so i'll have time for for the girls when their hunt comes up and um but yeah, it sure is fun this this hunting season, sharing it with family and friends. So couldn't be more pumped for you, Brandon. Congratulations on your season so far and and uh, good hunting to you for the rest of it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. And same to you. I know you've had a good fall too, and and our listeners get to hear about all those adventures um for you know several different podcasts and and uh, lots of fun to be had yet.
0: Absolutely. Well thanks again, sir. We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, thanks, Brian.
0: Okay. All right, that's a wrap. Um, really fun conversation with Brandon. Uh, like I said, I just always really enjoy talking to that guy. He's just got such a great approach um, to life and to hunting. Um, he 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 never gets too worked up about anything. There's never a, a problem too big that he can't handle. You know, he just um, he, he he takes on life as it comes. You know, and so um, I I just really like his approach to that. Uh, he's just he's always relaxed and a cool customer, and he's always you know, he thinks quick on his feet. Um, he he's always got, uh, he's always got an answer for everything. It seems like, or, or, you know, and he doesn't try to pretend or try to bluff it. Like he, he just, he thinks about it and you get an authentic quality answer from him. you know, no matter, no matter what it is you're discussing, whether it's hunting or business or work or whatever. But, um, yeah, I really like that guy. I really like hanging out with him, and he's just great on the podcast. I mean, that podcast was just full of, of tips and tactics and stories, and um, so just a great one. Thanks thanks to Brandon for being on the podcast again. I sure appreciate it. Sponsor for today's show is High Mountain Seasoning. Um, again, they have everything for, for butchering your own animals. Um, they Their jerky mixes are really good. Um, I, I've been using those and eating up a ton of jerky this year. Everything for sausage and snack sticks. Um, they also have steak marinades so um, make sure to check them out guys. high mountain seasoning thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast and um, yeah with that, I kind of told you everything I was up to on my intro but uh yeah just uh back to work here back to family. Um, it, it's been an incredible season sharing it with friends and and uh hunting for myself as well and um, just so much fun and so yeah, just uh, uh, shoot my bow day in day out uh, gotta get back to running here um, seasons kind of got away from me I was running really good in the the beginning and getting back from a hunt and, and continuing to run but uh, I've kind of laxed off here and put all my time and effort into to hunting elk and and uh, hunting season but gotta get back to it it's really healthy for me it's a good release and able to really think about things clearly when I'm running um, so yeah, I got to gotta get back out and start hitting these trails, get my daughters out for their hunts, and then um, got a couple muley rut tags that I'm just super excited about. Uh, Montana rut tag. Uh, my cousin and my uncle are headed back over this year. It'll be a family camp. Um, I probably just have to meet him over for a long weekend or whatever, but, um, it'll be fun to share that hunt with them. Fun to chase these rutting mule deer around with my bow and arrow again. I just can't wait for that. Try to turn up a good buck and get him arrowed. And then I did end up pulling the trigger on a Idaho tag as well. Um, so that goes late November and into December, and I know my buddy Dan has that tag, and so I'll kind of team up with him on some weekends. So hopefully I can find a Montana buck and get him arrowed, and then um, head off to Idaho and start kind of hunting and glassing down there. Um, it goes into December, so that'll be really cool. And then, um, yeah, my work. Uh, I think I can kind of get this house checked off my list. Um, got a house I'm trying to finish up right now, and I really got to get get it completed and and get my clients into it there's a bunch of custom in work we're doing in there and so um yeah i just have to follow through get this house completed put in some good hours and then when that finishes up i'll have a little bit more time freed up so hopefully that comes where i can maybe take a a little bit more time for that that idaho hunt and then um yeah looking forward to arizona i think gonna go hunt coos deer again here i I think dan's all in on that one Uh, we're gonna go just a little bit later this year uh, later in January, like the third week or something like that. So I think I'll be freed up and, and, uh, be able to go do that. So just got to get my work done here, get my girls out hunting and, um, kind of get back to regular life. I've been going so hard this hunting season, but, um, what an incredible season it's been. And, um, just, just so fortunate to, to be able to get as much time as I do and, um, to have my family support. And, um, gosh, you had, you know, as you look back over season, you just—I'm um, it, it, just so fortunate for the the life that I've created and the life that I live and the people that surround me and and the love that I share. And I just, um, you know, fortunate for this this podcast. Um, you know, I I don't don't make a ton or anything, but the little bit extra I do make sure helps you know, put gas in my truck and go have these adventures. And then to have this platform to be able to share my adventures with you guys, you know, the platform of social media, which I need to get back on, by the way, so focused on hunting and getting away from my phone. I think that's so important. Um, we're just so connected to our phones nowadays that, um, it's nice to get a break from it. And mine is such a cause of stress and anxiety too. And I need to, um, I need to do some thinking about it and really look at situations different that come my way. It's always like uh, anytime my phone rings or I get a text, I always think it's something negative. You know, I always go to worst case. And so it's almost like anxiety before I look at it. You know, I, I got to get away from that. I got to I got to just uh, have a different approach to it. Um, but I also it's good to have a break from it and not be so connected to that dang thing. Um, you know, I, I've got some new rules I'm implementing, you know, having my first couple coughs coughs, first couple cups of coffee in the morning before I look at it. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, they, we're all going to have stress in our lives and it's just how you deal with it and how you handle it. Um, so, you know, just trying to get back to that approach, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, take, take the, the best moves I can, or, um, I'm going to handle things or come up with the solution that I need to do the best way to handle the situation and, and going to move forward doing that and, and, and then not worry about it or stress about it. So, um, you know, this, this life, it, it's, it's all a work in progress. You know, I, I thought it might, you know, you think by the time you're, uh, mid late thirties, you know, you got life figured out and you're an adult, but I, I think you just keep figuring out life and keep trying to get better at it and find more enjoyment at it. And you try to get more, uh, efficient and effective at your, your job and your family and your recreating. And so that's, you know, I'm just on this journey to try to keep improving things. But, um, Anyways, I'm, I'm blabbering on. I, I got to get this podcast out and, and uh, get to work, um, get some things done here, and and then uh, get to this youth hunt here later this week. So um, thanks as always, guys, for um, listening in and for the connection. I sure appreciate the support. And, uh, yeah, we'll check in with you guys next week.